Welcome to the latest episode of the CFA UK In Conversation podcast. I'm Maha Khan Phillips, editor of Professional Investor at CFA UK. This is a show for investment professionals focusing on a whole manner of topics and interesting insights that are affecting the profession today. In this episode, we're going to be looking at how the world of investment research is evolving and some of the drivers that are transforming the landscape. Helping me unpick some of the important trends and themes is Joshua Maxi, CFA. Josh is a co-founder of ThirdBridge, the global provider of independent research, and has worked in the investment world for 25 years. He began his career at Goldman Sachs and later joined Bank of America as an equity research analyst. He built up the European operations of Gerson Lerman Group before joining Fidelity Ventures. At ThirdBridge, he has helped transform the company from a 10-person startup to a 1,400-strong global business. When he's not at work, Josh can be found on the water or snow, fueling his passion for yachting, water skiing, skiing, and snowboarding. He is also an avid music producer, and he has a PhD in electronic engineering from the University of Bath. Welcome, Josh. We're delighted to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Maha. Thank you. What an eclectic group of interests you have, I have to say. I'd love to talk to you about some of that, particularly what kind of music you're producing. <laughs> but from, for the moment, let's focus on investment research. Sure, sure. <laughs> let's kick off with a sense of the big picture. How has investment research evolved over the last two decades? I'm talking about some of the key changes that we've seen in the post Elliott Spitzer era and with MIFID II, for example. It was interesting for me because I went through the Elliott Spitzer uh, time uh, as a sales side analyst and saw pretty much my role changing, you know, quite, quite a lot over that time. And, um, you know, it was it was challenging because you were, you know, it, first of all, it's very long hours. And, you know, you, I, I felt a bit like a glorified journalist because, you know, I was building models, I was meeting companies and, you know, ultimately clients didn't really care that much about what I had to say. And so, you know, I think. I think when you when you enter that industry at that age that I did, um, it, it can be you know it can be quite soul destroying and 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 having you know been in the expert network market for the last you know probably sort of twenty years, it's been interesting for me to see a, a new way forward and 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 how research has changed. Um, look, the sell side is is still very very relevant to investors, but you know I think um, we've seen a huge exodus of talent. As a result of you know Elliot Spitzer's you know you know change, um, but but also with Mifid too, and and I think you know there is some very very good talent that is in you know smaller boutique research houses now, um, and um, you know and and there's been new formats that have been introduced over that time period as well. We've seen a lot of analysts uh, uh, you know on Substack that are writing newsletters, podcasts. So I think the medium. And the consumption patterns have changed quite drastically, um, for, you know, over over that time period. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a it's been an interesting time, certainly with Mifid too, because you know this is this 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 really put a squeeze on budgets, and and that had a profound impact, I think, on the sales side research model, especially at some of the bulge bracket banks. That's really interesting. And I want to pick up the point that you made about the sort of change in consumption and the way that we're consuming um, research. So, I mean, we are we seeing a generational shift happening here now with um, younger analysts uh, accessing research and digesting it in different ways? I think you have to remember that, you know, nowadays about two thirds of the buy side are millennials. And, you know, these were, you know, individuals that were brought up with you know, immersive gaming experiences and so forth. And, and, and that 
has an impact on their expectation of how they want to consume research. Now, look, I'm not going to say that, you know, the relationship part of the model is not important, and I think it continues to prevail. But, um, you know, the consumption of audio, um, the consumption of video, um, all of those play, play, play a big part in, in the way that people want to uh, do their research. I mean, we sit at the intersection of a new product, which is around interview transcripts. And, you know, we started seeing management earnings calls being transcribed. And I would argue that probably more analysts nowadays consume the transcripts than they uh, will uh, be potentially attending, you know, the, the live events. Um, and, you know, we, 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 we played a big part in doing that for the independent side uh, of research. Um, you know, interviewing experts that have an independent background, so not, you know, um, um, Reg FD uh, uh, managers of the business itself. But, um, yeah, we, we're seeing a big change in that. And then, of course, the, the, the technology aspect of it. So, you know, visualization of data, um, the way that um, analysts are now consuming um, research, not just from what historically were aggregation portals, but also Twitter, um, newsletters on Substack, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think the medium has changed and evolved a lot. And the expectations are quite high. Um, you know, we, we all got very excited back in the days about being able to, you know, generate PDFs and not have hard copies anymore. Um, uh, I think that has changed quite a lot. It really has. I mean, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I wonder where we're going to, where we're going to be heading with this. Um, but what does it mean for providers of research? Well, they had to evolve uh, and certainly update their technology stack. Um, and I've mentioned this before, you know, there are still many, many research portals that I see that look like they were created in someone's bedroom and they're very clunky. The search is difficult. You know, analysts are now looking for search that is akin to a Google search it, it, and it has to understand you know, the context and be able to generate very meaningful results, but then not just have results in a long list, but also being able to highlight and navigate and extract very quickly, you know, the areas of, of interest for that analyst. And I think that is really what, uh, you know, is, is changing. And where does data automation and artificial intelligence come into this? Um, as you say, things are changing and this is a space where we've seen a lot of hype. I don't know how much of the hype is valid, but certainly some of it is. So how is that shifting things for the way we consume and data or information and also for the way that we are provided it? I think the industry is still, it's still early in some ways. If you look at our industry, we have fundamental driven uh, research and we have data. Um, the the and, and then there's sort of the quantumental, if we call it the hybrid. So. I think there are a lot of changes going on, but they're still very, very early stage. Um, the fundamental uh, landscape has certainly started using data a lot more, um, and they are using that and overlaying their fundamental kind of you know research on top of that. Um, but it, people who come from a fundamental background often struggle with the quantitative side, I would argue, and you know, making the research accessible and or the data accessible, I think is a key part of that. And I think there's still some long ways to go. Now, there is, of course, the quant uh, industry where, you know, we've got hundreds of PhDs being hired, data scientists, 
and they are looking for signals in you know a, a raft of data, terabytes of data being crunched, and that is you know certainly at the forefront of you know sort of data analytics uh, and and how that relates to ultimately generating alpha for the for the for the investment managers. Um, but I think that the um, the area that is still in need of more simplification and innovation, I think, is on the quantumental side, if you want to call it that. And 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 that's an area where I think there is uh, a decent amount of innovation, but still, it's sort of the meeting of two worlds. And I think that's where it becomes a little bit more of a challenge. That's interesting. And, and it would be interesting to see how that space evolves. Yeah, I mean, fund managers I speak to are increasingly reliant, you know, on on data. Um, often it's done by maybe a separate team, and they certainly now, obviously, you know, you can't you can't not use you know the data. It, it's it's part of the fundamental you know work that you do, and you know if you look at the old data space, um, and you know in the US there's hundreds of companies that are I would argue very relatively small. Uh, that are creating data sets for investors, um, which is, you know, uh, certainly very interesting. But I think it's it also presents a challenge because not many of them are making money and it's 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 very hard to monetize it. Um, so I, I do think the, 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 the power still or the center of gravity is very much with the buy side who have in-housed a lot of this themselves. Interesting. Thank you. And can we talk about the regulatory landscape as well? So we have a lot of um, regulatory developments and reforms, whether it's the Edinburgh reforms, for example, or what's happening in the EU that might impact research pay models and the SEC no action letter expiry. Um, what is going to be the impact of that, ki- that kind of reform? I personally am not expecting much to come out of the Edinburgh reform, reform as it relates to research. I, and I've said this before, I think, uh, I, I have I have a very strong view that most of the MIFID II legislation was actually very heavily sponsored by um, you know Andrew Bailey back then um, and uh, and his team and and I think that there is a little bit of a political element here where it's quite convenient now to look at MIFID II and say in a in a post Brexit world you know we we really need to become uh, you know, we need to have our own feet on the ground and, and look at this again. But uh, again, I, I think there's there's more politics at play than actually uh, practicalities involved. Um, I I do think what is interesting now is obviously the expiry of the no action letter from the SEC. Um, we're ultimately w- running in two swim lanes. We have the MIFID two swim lane in Europe, and we have the opposite regime in the US, i.e., bundling is the norm and 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 of course the 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 no action letter from the sec was a way to bridge those two swim lanes for a certain period of time but we're going back to our two swim lanes in separate ways which means that for investors it has a big impact because u.s investors are in charge in a very very different way than european investors and net net i think we are not going to move very far in this regard for the next let's say five years because there's also a very, very large political element in the U.S. that 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 has an impact here on the timeline, and you know we're not we 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 still have the current regime in place. It'll be post the next elections where this may be tabled again in the U.S. So as a result of that, I think we're going to have research being funded in two different ways, and 
I do think there will be more consolidation, and I can see a scenario where more U.S. asset, uh, more U.S. research firms who don't have a significant presence in Europe or in London will be looking to acquire or make some acquisitions. And we've seen the news recently with with Redburn and Atlantic Equities, um, which, which in my mind is 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 already the start of of, of this, this this you know evolving trend. So consolidation potentially, and also wait and see on the regulatory side in the U.S. I do think so. I don't think we're going to see much change in the U.S. And I'm going to bet, uh, I would bet, that uh, the, US, the, the, the London framework will continue along the MIFID II guidelines. Um, when MIFID II was introduced, um, I think quite a few people were taken back how the buy side decided to pay out of P&L. And, and not use the actual research program, um, the RPA program. So um, it would be very, very hard to go back to investors and say, do you know what, we're actually going to reverse that and we're going to start charging you again. Um, so so I, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult way, way, you know, way to reverse that out. Let's talk now about the world of alternatives. It's interesting to see how things are playing out in hedge fund research and also in private markets. Can you tell us a little bit about how investment research is kind of evolving in this space? It's fair to say that the uh, the, the, the the private market uh, research, and I would include in that private equity, of course, but also um, private credits so and loans research, has always been a second-class citizen compared to the public market research, um, and 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 it's understandable why. But ultimately, also the fees being generated for that part of the segment were always much significantly larger. Um, and if you were a research firm, the first target market for you would always be public markets because there was a view that they had larger budgets. Um, so as a result of that, innovation has been somewhat stifled and lagging in private company research. Um, this is an area that we at Thirdbridge feel that we've actually been able to support that part of the market significantly. Um, and it's an area that we continue to focus on. In conversations I've been having with um, uh, PE industry executives, it's become very apparent that they are often scrambling for information on private companies. Um, and we ultimately, competing with Avoid because they are trying to piece together desperate third-party resources in a fairly short timeline, not as short as public equity uh, investors, but still they are you know, really tr- struggling to find a lot of information. And as a result of that, um, businesses like ours have really benefited from being able to provide that. On the public market side, there is already an abundance of lots of data available to investors. Um, I would argue probably a slightly different problem, which is what is more reliable, what is more trustworthy, uh, what's, what's the best qualified data that you can use or rely on in terms of research. But nevertheless, there is an abundance of research typically available. Uh, and so I think, you know, this has created really a very sort of, you know, slightly segmented market where private uh, company investors have been very much um, behind, uh, you know, on, on, on what research they have available to them. It'll be interesting also to see how that evolves then uh, as we continue. There there are already many, many companies uh, trying to innovate there. I do think that um, there will be more uh, in, in this part of the market. And, uh, you know, the, 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 a lot of people, you know, are very keen to be the next Bloomberg for private company data. Yeah, I'm sure. 
Another question for you, and you're a CFA charter holder. Um, what advice would you give to young people, young charter holders, and others who are entering the space, the investment research industry, um, and navigating their future careers? I've been in this industry, as you said earlier, you know, for a very long time, and I've seen it change. When I actually started, I never really knew that it could be this interesting and there was so much to do. I think if you can stay on the innovation side and constantly try and challenge the status quo, I think it becomes much more interesting. And there is still so much to do. Now, I think the CFA gave me a very, very good solid grounding in terms of understanding just how clients work. How do they do their research? What is it they're ultimately trying to figure out? And I do see a difference with people who enter the research industry without that knowledge, finding it a little bit of a challenge, because if you don't understand what this information is going to be used for, it's very hard to provide high quality research, innovation, and showing clients new ways to do things in a better way, in a smarter, more efficient way. So that sort of understanding of how clients invest, I think is paramount. I think the CFA gives you the solid grounding for that. Thank you. And I mean, you talked about the talent pool shifting from this sort of earlier and over the years, but um, for people entering the industry now, are there particular skill sets that they should be focusing on? I think technology is very, very important. Um, and I do think, um, you know, uh, data analytics and technology is probably an area that's been somewhat underserved, um, both on the sell and buy side. Um, I do think at the moment we are in a in a, in a special time where um, technology, you know, historically, if you were trying to hire data analysts with strong capability, um, you were competing with the technology firms, you know, Meta, Google, and so on. And um, and, and 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 of course, you know, a, a, a data scientist would would be offered you know million dollar plus packages by Google, and you know, why would you join you know a uh, a more institutional asset management firm. Um, I think that has shifted and I think that has become a more opportune time for people now to enter this industry with that skill set, but also for the buy side, for example, to be able to hire very, very strong talent, you know, for that, for that function. Um, so I think that's a specific area where I would expect to see more, more interesting developments in terms of the quality of the, uh, of the candidates that they'll be able to hire now. Thank you. And looking ahead over the next five to 10 years, how do you think the sector is going to evolve? You know, the research, the research market will continue to be structurally challenged on the traditional side. Um, I think we have seen a equalization of research budgets, you know, arguably came down by about a third since the introduction of MIFID II. Um, I, I do think that it's, um, you know, it is getting harder and harder for um, you know, for firms to innovate and also the smaller ones to survive. The, the biggest challenge I think is, is that the independent research market as a whole, which is fragmented, but you know, it, 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 it hasn't really seen the, enough of a benefit from some of these changes in the industry. And I'm somewhat hopeful that some of the changes that are uh, being implemented will benefit um, you know, primary research firms like ours but also see more and more dollars, um, you know, shifting towards some of the more boutique firms that are trying to make a living. Um, and there's some incredible talent out there. Uh, and, and, and there's many analysts that I used to rate in the past that I've seen set up their own shop. Uh, and, you know, I just hope that 
um, you know, the buyer side will be able to accept that and, um, you know, uh, pro provide them with the right sort of stimulus or support, if you want to put it that way, that they can continue to grow and flourish as a real challenger to the bulge brackets, you know, in the market. Um, I do think that um, content is going to change. I mean, we at Thurbridge have seen, uh, you know, how innovation can create a totally new research category with our independent interview transcripts, for example. And, um, you know, we're now moving into more visualization and building proprietary content sets. So I do think that investors will increasingly be looking for those kinds of, of research. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very hard to say what's going to happen on the regulatory side. And I always say you never want to be exposed to, you know, you don't want the success of your business to be uh, predicated on regulatory changes because that's a very dangerous game to play. Um, but hopefully, um, you know, we've, we've, we've seen the largest changes already with Mifid 2, for example. So lots of moving parts there. Um, well, I can't let you go, Josh, until you tell us what kind of music you're into and what kind of music you're producing. Well, okay. Well, my, my music interests are pretty wide. So I, uh, you know, I started playing the guitar, electric guitar in a rock band, uh, always a big Bruce Springsteen fan. But um, I, I now have more into EDM music. Um, and, and so it's quite electronic. Um, but, you know, if, Dave, if, if Solomon at Goldman Sachs can proclaim to be an EDM DJ, then <laughs> it's probably not too bad for me to also be uh, competing with him. Excellent. That's great. Thank you so much. It's been a really interesting and wide-ranging discussion, everything from investment research in the future to music tastes. And I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Um, it's a shame we didn't get to look at some of your other interests as well. So next time we'll talk about yachting and um, sailing and all the rest of it. Thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Remember to look out for the next episode of our In Conversation podcast through the usual CFA UK email and social media channels. You can also subscribe so that you don't miss an episode through CFA UK's SoundCloud channel or Apple Podcasts. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Mom.